0: Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support.
1: When we were planting Village, there was this season where it was so much stress and pressure that, like, I was doing these weird ticks where I, like, kiss the air, you know, and it was just like, what is, Why is it? Why doesn't anyone just go, buddy, get out? And, like, I can't <laughs> you know, deal yeah. with me. So we'd be sitting at, you know, Tim Hortons or whatever, eating chili, and I'd be kissing the air trying to plan this church. Uh, and so... Somehow, you know, I don't know if God built something into me early knowing this would happen or whatever went down, but somehow I kind of survived the social pressure of it.
2: Mark Clark is the senior pastor of one of the largest churches in Canada. His story is one of living with a physical disability, overcoming a challenging childhood, and how he led his congregation through the challenges of a pandemic era in a largely lockdown country. Welcome to Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was. He Aaron. was a golden boy. All we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. This is Life Support, hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. My name is Steve Johnson, director of Five Stone Media, a co-sponsor of this program, And our goal, as always, is to use story to bring hope and healing. And now let's join the conversation with Pastor Paul and Pastor Mark Clark.
0: Hey, so glad you're with us today on Life Support. And what we do here is we tell stories. We talk about how Jesus overcomes difficulties and trials and trauma so that we can have a deeper relationship with him. And I've got a very special guest with us today uh, who I've known for quite some time. Um, and uh, we've had a lot of fun together, Uh, at least I've had fun with Mark, I'm not sure that he would uh, agree with that, but his name is Mark Clark, and he is an author and a pastor, Uh, he pastors Village Church in Canada, one of the, if not the largest church in Canada, and Mark, it's so good to talk with you, and you're in Canada right now, right? I am in Canada and still alive. Yeah, it's it's been pretty rough up there, hasn't it? It has been uh yeah, it's been weird. There's certain
1: certain parts of Canada are worse than others. Uh where I am, uh, British Columbia on the on the left coast, west coast out here. Um, it's uh it's okay. It's been pretty, you know, restaurants have been open and blah blah. blah. But the, the closer you move to Toronto and those kind of places, it's it's pretty closed down. So yeah, it's uh, you know, we're coping through like everybody, trying to do our best. But yes, the audience, I mean, don't downplay Paul. You were my boss. For many years and you took a huge risk with me and planted a church even though you and i were pastoring a church that uh you could probably fit four of them in the auditorium where we were at the time and uh you still took a risk and saw calling in my life and sent me out with a group of people even though the church wasn't uh, all that excited about it and uh and sent me out and uh and it's been awesome god's been in it ever since so you were fantastic to me and uh thank you for
0: that brother oh that's really nice mark thank you um and that was right on cue. So thanks for reading that liner I gave you. I I really appreciate that.
1: Oh, sorry. I didn't. I thought, <laughs> I, thought I you were just trying to downplay. Oh uh, uh, yeah,
0: no. So listen, you you have. Um, um, I really want to talk about about you and and how God has really worked in your life, and um, you're anointed to do what you're doing. But you grew up uh, in the Toronto area, and it didn't always look like that, did it? I mean, you didn't have. An easy background. Talk a little bit about where you came from and how that was for you.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in a, uh, a non-Christian home, and my dad was a bit of, a, you know, a, a drinker. I, my my early memories of him are just yelling at football games and smoking his pipe and drinking. And you know, my you know, my mom and him didn't have the greatest relationship. They ended up getting divorced when I was about eight or nine, and uh, and at that time, I developed. Uh, Tourette's syndrome and obsessive compulsive disorder. And the doctors basically say it was probably because of the trauma of going through the divorce of my parents. It's just like one day, you know, seven, eight years old, my dad walks up, he's like, I'm out and we're getting divorced. And he left and, uh, you know, never saw him again for years. And I developed these ticks and these habits where I would like, you know, randomly swear at people like sitting at the bus stop and be like f you know or whatever I just like uh and you you know and 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 like make noises you know and uh facial tics which i still have and all these random weird i pick up habits too uh you know i i I'd, I'd see somebody do something you know and i just grab it and i'd start doing it and then that grew into Um, obsessive compulsive disorder where I would have to do certain things in order for bad things not to happen you know so I'd be thinking about like someone would say like the word AIDS or something in a room and I and I'd have to like hit the table a certain amount of times so that you wouldn't get AIDS or I would you know whatever it was like this this and we'll get on a plane and I'd smack a post and then I'd walk and then I'd realized I didn't smack the post three times. So I'd have to walk all the way back and smack it. So the plane didn't go down. And this became like, by the time I was, you know, 15, 16, I had this habit where I would go down on my knees. I would bang my knees on the ground and flip my hat in the air. And, uh, and I was a smoker. So I'd always be outside. And so here I am middle of the winter growing up in Toronto, snow, you know, a foot deep and I'm banging down on my knees in high school, my jeans had these big wet spots <laughs> and I'd be walking around with these wet spots, you know, and it's like, who is that? What is wrong with this guy? Um, and so, yeah, that, it was it wasn't easy, you know, going through junior high and, 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 and senior high, uh, having these, weird, you know, be sitting in a room. Everyone's doing a, a math exam. And the room's dead quiet and there's 200 people in the gymnasium and I'm, you know, making noises because I don't want to, I don't want to make a noise. And of course, you know, that's what you do. So, uh, yeah, it was a weird, it was a weird upbringing.
0: But that's a lot of pressure on a, a young guy to try to conform like that and to try to, to and, and, you know, in a, in a sense, control your, your behavior. I mean, that had to be stressful and, and difficult.
1: Yeah, it, it totally was. And, uh, and, and there was kind of two sides of me. There was the one side that kind of didn't care. Uh, I think God probably wired some self-defense mechanism into me that was like, Meh, whatever it's me. And so for some reason, I still had friends, you know, I had friends on all sides. that I hung out with the cool guys, the geeks, the athletes, the actors, I was kind of all over the map, uh, in high school and, uh, and, and kind of made my way through that <laughs> People just kind of, I don't know, accepted my weird. I, I have no idea actually what anyone was thinking. Um, but then a piece of me, you realize that in times of pressure and stress, it got worse. Um, so even to the point where, I, you know, we, we both have theology degrees. So I'd be doing Greek, which was like the hardest thing I've, other than quitting smoking, doing Greek for three years is probably the hardest thing I ever did in my life. And it was like those exams would come up and I could just feel my ticks you know just getting worse and worse and worse or, or even Paul when we were planting village there was this season where it was so much stress and pressure that like I was doing these weird ticks where I would, like kiss the air you know and it was just like what is, why is it why does anyone just go buddy get out and, like I can't <laughs> deal yeah. with. so we'd be sitting at you know Tim Hortons or whatever eating chili and I'd be kissing the air trying to plan this church uh and so somehow you know I don't know if God built something into me early knowing this would happen or whatever went down but somehow I kind of survived the social pressure of it Uh, but it was yeah it was a weird world to navigate
0: so when did God then reach in spiritually and grab hold of you because given that background you know a lot of us would just write that that kid off I mean you know I mean you're not not in a Christian home your dad's left you've got this disability you're struggling with when did God reach in and, and grab a hold of you
1: so, um, my grandfather who is, uh, still alive, 99 years old. Wow. Um, crazy. And, uh, he was, uh, he was the Christian in my family. He used to, of course, pray for us. And when my parents got divorced, he sent us to a Christian camp as kids. And so that's where I heard about Jesus for the first time and accepted Christ. But then I, I didn't really do anything with it. I just kind of, you know, said the summer camp prayer and moved on with my life. And, uh, and we'd kind of go back there and see counselors and kids every year. And it kind of set a bit of a moral compass in my life. And then when I was about 18, I was in, uh, what was it, grade 11 or 12. And I was in woodworking class. And I met this guy named Chris. And his whole life had been changed by Jesus. Uh, and he told me, he's like, you need to believe in Jesus. And we started studying the Gospels together. And he really just, like, told me the Gospel. I accepted Christ. And then, uh, Paul, I just, there's no way to explain It was the supernatural Holy Spirit, like, you know, the hound of heaven, right, hunted me down, Mm -hmm. saved me, sealed me. And it was like something ignited. And I was just like, you couldn't have a conversation with me uh, without us talking about Jesus. And I would go around my town, you know, smoking a pack of cigarettes, reading the Bible, telling everybody I saw about Jesus, walking up to people on their doorsteps, praying for them at two in the morning, baptizing people in Lake Ontario uh, two years before I was ever baptized because I hadn't even been to a church yet. You know, I was just like, I was I, I was like John the Baptist. And age actually, <laughs> That's <you know>? cool. <laughs> I'm just running around like, you know, but my, it was like the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. It's like, you know, Augustine says the Bible is the face of God for us now. And it's, that's literally where I met God. It's like the word behind the word, you know, and I just something about the Bible. It was like, I read it every day and it would calm me and it would focus me. And, and I would tell people, about. It. so anyway, so that's what started. And all my friends that I used to smoke dope with and steal out of cars and do all that stuff, you know, three weeks later, I'm telling them about Jesus defending Christianity to them and all and so this kind of you know apologetic side of me this you know this kind of thing it probably came from the years of everyone in my social world was non-christian i hadn't been to a church yet so i had to figure out on my feet how to defend christianity um against 30 of my friends in a garage half of whom were completely hired hammered so uh so that was kind of where that stuff was born but yeah god got a hold of me you know 17 18 years old and never let me go and just just said, okay. And and my identity became then in Christ and all this stuff didn't matter. It was like, I am who I am, let's go.
0: Yeah, and that really causes me to question this whole discipleship model we have in churches where you, you give your life to Christ, you have to go through a period of growth and then you reproduce. And I think what we're missing is that moment of conversion is when somebody is ready to reproduce. Yes. Like crazy because they don't have those inhibitions. They haven't learned how not to do it yet. Yes. I mean, there you are in garages, you know, talking to people and and that's and God's using you in a way that a, a quote unquote mature Christian probably would get scared off from.
1: Yeah, it's a, that's actually a really good point. Something I hadn't really connected the dots with, but you're right. It's it's like it's like we always talked about in the church planning days, new people bring new people. And it's like you staring out at the same guy who's been sitting in the same chair for 10 years. He ain't bringing a friend, bro. No matter, I don't care if you get up there in your unicycle and you know entertain them, he ain't bringing a friend. It's the new guy who shows up, who's gonna bring his friend. And so in the same way, you're right. New faith, just like the excitement of it, the passion of it, you gotta set these people free before they're ready. And what's funny about that is there's a youth pastor in my life who totally saw that and walked up to me. So I walked into church finally when I was 19 saw some pretty girls and decided to stay and uh and and married
0: uh, a pretty girl at some point
1: I married a pretty girl who was up there in the worship team and I'm like okay I like church this is great and uh and he I was literally still smoking every day before church I would go in the back of the church and I would smoke and there was this window there before the service I would smoke and finally after about two months a guy walked up to me on the worship team he said listen that window is the senior pastor's office. And every Sunday, the whole worship team's in there praying and you're smoking in the back, like we're literally <laughs> watching you. <laughs> you know? it's like, know. So anyway, the, the uh, youth pastor walks up to me and he says, uh, I want you to preach a sermon. And I'm like, buddy, I've been in church for six months. Like, I, What are you talking about? And he said, I want you to preach in the youth group. And so he said, preach any passage you want. So I took Matthew 23 and just screamed at all these church kids about being religious. You whitewashed tombs. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I'm still, I'm having a cigarette outside before I go in. Like I, you know, and Andy Stanley talks about this too. It, it put people in leadership who may not be ready. And he doesn't mean by that, like character wise, Uh, it's, it's like, they're not like you're saying, they're not polished. They're not ready in the way that we think they are, but they're the ones who can do awesome stuff. So,
0: yeah. And those are the people that actually have that passion that's still burning in them that rubs off on other people. It's not really about having the right tools all of the time. It's about passion. People, people react to passion. They, they, they react to when it's bleeding out of you, they can't help but follow. And then he
1: covers over a multitude of incompetencies.
0: Yeah, though that's 100% right. All right, so here you are now. You're you're at this church. Um you've you you're a new believer. You're a little rough around the edges. When did God say, "Hey Mark, I think this ministry thing might be for you?" Um so
1: yeah, I was going to go into the film industry and love that. I was doing that since I was a kid, uh writing, filming, editing, love that world and uh and i was going to college for it i i was in my first year already signed up already taking classes and i went on a trip and my my there was a girlfriend of mine not not dating but just a girlfriend of mine and we went to her house and we were all hanging out and staying over there for the weekend and her dad and i got into a conversation we were sitting in a room and he just said i feel like god's telling me something about you and i'm like what he's like i think ministry is what you need to go into i'm I'm just sensing you have this leadership ability this this uh knowledge gift this teaching preaching gift that you need to lead people and i was like "Uh, yeah no not a thing and he's like but you're you're an evangelist and i think this needs to be part of what you do for like a more formal version of this in ministry and i was like uh yeah that's not a thing two weeks later went up to my buddy's cabin uh four guys all three of them around the campfire looked at me and said, God's been telling us something about you. He's telling us you need to quit college and go into ministry. And I'm like, what? And then it happened a third time. And by the time I was sitting at my, I I work at Michael's Arts and Crafts store at the time. And I was sitting there putting googly eyes away or whatever and for, for 6.25 an hour. And I felt the Holy, literally this presence break me. And I'm not a big crier. I started to cry in Michael's. No one had said anything to me. I started to cry because there was a, such a palpable sense of a call. Um, I called Erin up and she came at my on my break and we prayed and it was like, this is what you need to do. You need to go into ministry. And so, you know, growing up in a home without church life, I'm like, they're not going to buy this. So I went and got all the brochures and I did a big pitch to my parents and they said, you can do this for one year. Uh, but if it doesn't go well, you're going back to normal college, get your two-year degree and, and get on with it. And, uh, you know, three weeks in, they could just see a passion, a spark. I leaned in and kind of the rest is history.
0: Yeah. This is Mark Clark. He's a pastor at Village Church in Canada. And uh, we're just kind of exploring his background. And, you know, at that moment, you knew that ministry was there, but you had no training. You had no tools, really. I mean, so what? what's next? How would you pursue that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I so I started doing the school, and I loved education, then I kept in the youth group, and I kept preaching and teaching in the youth group, and the youth pastor was just giving me opportunities, and then they let me like, you know, on like youth day at the church, I don't know if you do those where the youth get up and slam away on the drums and no one knows what's happening, yeah. uh, They would let me preach you know they hey give the guy a sermon you know of course i practiced that sermon for four months the thing was down pat you know whereas now you and i we got to pump these things out every week so uh so anyway i get up there and obviously everyone's like oh my god this is great you know but and uh and so that just started to really fuel you know a passion to preach and teach and then uh so that's what i was gonna do and then my second year of college i had some professors come up to me and say actually If you want to know the biggest way to impact youth, we think you're actually supposed to become more of a professor. And they started giving me opportunities to be a teaching assistant, to do lectures at the school, marking papers. It's my second year. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm 20 years old. I'm not going to be a professor. And this one teacher, Steve Thompson, just leaned into me and it was like, it was you know, cut to the montage of him and I at 630 in the morning in his office trying to figure the apostle Paul out. And then 10 at night at Swiss chalet trying to exegete, you know, you know, whatever. It was just, it was great. Four years, this guy poured into me and, uh, and my closest friend at the time and uh, ignited in me a passion for scholarship, which is why I ended up moving out to British Columbia. It was to yeah. go to school, out here do a master's degree and then move overseas and do a PhD so I could become a professor. Long story short, I'm out here and 2007 comes around and God says I don't want you to do a PhD. Get your master's degree but I want you to plant a church. And uh I was like, "What? I don't why would I start a church? I don't get it. It's not going to work." And then you came into my life 6 months later and uh and you were sitting in a uh, you were being interviewed for the job. And you're sitting in a room full of people that you don't know. It's 30 of us in a room. And I haven't told anybody about this secret, you know, call on my life to go plant a church. Uh, uh, and uh, you just said, someone said, what would you do if you came to this church? And he said, well, because I think you'd come up and heard me preach secretly or something in your candidating process. And you just said, well, why wouldn't we were a great position to plant churches? Why wouldn't we plant the church with that guy? And you just pointed at me across the room, and the whole room looked at me, and I was like, uh-oh, this guy's reading my mail. What's happening? And clearly the spirit was doing something in your life. And anyway, you came on and, and made that happen, and, uh, and yeah, it was, it was kind of crazy.
0: But you had this Tourette's thing, and I remember having a conversation with you, and I remember that you looked at me and said something like, but Paul, these, these rich white people are not going to listen to me. Because I have this thing, and I said, "No, that's that's what makes you you. That's why they're going to listen to you." And doesn't isn't it true that God uses people who are quote unquote a little off the grid or a little unusual? Or but those are the people that capture people, right? And He used that in your life in a, in a huge way.
1: Yeah, I my fear when we were planting out here was I did the demographic study and I met all these people and I did a few sermons and they're pulling up in their perfect cars and their perfect homes and their perfect lives. And cause it's an area that's a little more well-to-do that we were planting in. And I was like, I'm up there twicking my face around, you know, making weird noises. Um, this is not going to work, Paul. And we're sitting there for coffee or lunch. And, and you said, no, I think it will work. And then you said, um, because you're going to give them permission and what, and what you meant by that was permission because behind all the facade, their life is a mess. And when they look at you tweaking around and messing around, making noises up there, they're gonna follow you because it's First Corinthians 1, right? God like woos the world through foolishness. You know, the Greek word moronic. You know, God is glorified through the morons. And it's like, that's what he'll do. And you're, you're gonna give these perfect people permission to be broken, to walk with a limp. Uh, because all of them are anyway. And that is literally what happened. People just started showing up and being like, finally, a church a leader who doesn't pretend they're perfect. And I learned that from you because the leaders that I had served under to that point, they had, they had put on this facade of, of perfection and i think to be honest one of the big roles that i'll just be you know indebted to you forever that you played in my life is you showed up and you you didn't pretend to be perfect you there was a brokenness there about your life that you actually led from it wasn't like oh there's something in my past that's kind of you know bad but anyway i'll just you know now i'm a leader and i'm strong and everyone should trust me it was like you know what? Some days on Tuesdays, I hate all of you. And I don't want to be in this meeting, you know, or whatever. Like you would never actually say that, but it's like, right. But you gave me permission in that moment. Cause every leader I had sat under played the perfect role with the perfect family. And, the, and that was a huge amount of pressure and to s- sort of serve under a leader that was like, you know what? I'm not perfect. There are meetings I don't want to be in and my life is what it is. And I am who I am. And I'm not going to pretend to be somebody else. Gave me a huge amount of freedom. To this day, I think about that as like, oh, leaders don't have to pretend to be perfect. And so that's what began to happen in the church. People started to show up and uh, kind of be drawn to the authenticity. You know, I forget who it was, Mark Batterson. I said something said authenticity is like the new currency in leadership. It's there's kind of like, don't be fake with me. And uh, and people started to meet Jesus and you know, they started connecting, all these perfect people started connecting to the message of imperfection because it was about the gospel. Now it's Jesus, you know, the father declares down on Jesus, you are my beloved son. And then he does his ministry from that place. He doesn't say it at the end. You know, it's not like Jesus goes and heals everybody, raises a bunch of dead people, does these great sermons, gets to the cross. And then God goes, you are my beloved son, because of all that stuff you did. Now you can go to the cross. You you really performed well. It's like right at the beginning. He says, "Here's your identity," and then perform from there.
0: Yeah, that's powerful. And I, I think like we just scratched the surface. So next time we need to pick the story up. But tell me about the latest book, Mark. You you you're an author. You've written some really great stuff, and a lot of it comes out of that apologetic, twi- you know, that bent that you have. Tell me about that book
1: yeah so a few years ago i wrote a book called the problem of god and it was answering kind of the top 10 skeptical questions that people have against christianity hypocrisy science hell you know that kind of stuff and then uh and it did really well and people were like we want more so i wrote a book called the problem of jesus it just came out in february and it's basically everything i've got on jesus for the last 20 years uh about defending you know was jesus a historical person how do the Gospels work? are miracles a thing? How do the parables work? Uh, You know, loving God was Jesus, the only way the death, the resurrection, all of that, uh, all in one book. So um, yeah, it it came out in February, and I'm getting crazy, great stories about people using it to reach their friends. So it's, it's great.
0: Fantastic. Thanks so much for being here, my friend. I appreciate appreciate it so much. Thanks for what you're doing. All right. And you know, this is what we do. We tell stories of people that have leaned into Jesus and if you're discouraged today, if you feel like, man, you just don't fit into this Christian thing, I just want you to know that God loves you deeply. In Isaiah 12:2, the Bible tells us, surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. And like Mark said, your identity is in Christ. And if you haven't found Jesus, explore that. It's really important. I want to thank our partners for making this possible, MyFaithRadio.com. Fivestone Media is where you can find a video version of this podcast at FiveStoneMedia.com. And, of course, we produce this here at Ridgewood Church, MyRWC.org. We'll see you next time right here on Life Support.
2: Life Support is a co-production of FiveStone Media and Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota.